Welcome to the Connection Point Church Podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. parables tonight. Amen. Get into the word of the Lord. We'll move forward in our study of the parables of Jesus. Has this study changed your thoughts or your perspective on, amen, just the kingdom of God or the word of God or just even the parables in general at all? Has anyone learned anything? Anyone received anything? Amen. 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 You had me worried there for a second. Trixie was the only one shaking her head. I said, well, Lord, at least Trixie's getting something out of this. Amen. Well, I hope, I hope you're seeing things a little more the way God intends for us to see them. Because that's really what these parables are all about, is getting us out of our kind of limited perspective, our frame of reference, and really seeing spiritual things the way God would like us to see them from a kingdom perspective. And so we've, we've been kind of going through here and just kind of examining why Jesus spoke in parables. I want to just reiterate this. There's a few reasons that Jesus spoke in parables. At one point, one of the disciples, actually a couple points, but one in particular, the disciples got frustrated with Jesus. Why do you keep talking in parables? Why do you keep speaking in parables? And there was some good reasons why he did. There was one, just one right off the bat, he's speaking to different types of people. Different personalities, different people learn different ways, different not only types and personalities of people, but different cultures, different regions, different languages, different continents, different backgrounds, different social uh, positions, different uh, generations. He wasn't just speaking to that generation, he was speaking to every generation since. So his word is, is for all people. Number two, it's to expose something. Jesus spoke in parables to expose a lack of motivation to, to truly grow and to understand God's Word among those who were just part of the crowd. And we looked at this in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 4, but I want to read it again in Matthew from his perspective. In Matthew chapter 13, let's read this again because I think this is really just a profound thing here. Disciples came said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, now we've not read, the, we've not read this this telling of this, he says, because it has been given to you, everyone say to me, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, all right? For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Sounds a little harsh. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, they do not see, they hear me, they see me, but they, they're not really listening. Any parents know what I'm talking about? Amen. <laughs> Amen. And hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. But why, though? Why? In them this prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, but not perceive. But why? Verse 15. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. They don't want to hear anymore. They've shut me out, God says. The, 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 their, their appetite for spiritual things has, has waned. That can happen to us sometimes. Amen? Amen. Sometimes you can be in the, in, in, in the midst of the Word of God being preached or taught. You can be in the presence of the Lord. You could be in church. And just for whatever reason, you're just not quite really just, you just zoned out. Your heart has become dull. Your mind has become dull to hearing the things that God would want to speak into your life. They, they have ears that are hard of hearing and they have eyes that are closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with the ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn and so that I would heal them. If they would just respond to the word, I would do something in their life. But they've just, they've just allowed their hearts to get dull. And that can happen to us. He was talking to followers. He was talking to the multitude. He was talking to those who were there to, for the fishes and the loaves. Amen. Verse 16. Blessed are your eyes. Everyone say, my eyes. My eyes. They do see in your ears, for they do hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, Connection Point Church, and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, but they don't hear it. Amen. All those prophets, name a prophet, Ezekiel and Habakkuk and Isaiah, they wanted to hear 
Pastor Mike preach at Connection Point Church, the mysteries of the parables, and you are so blessed tonight. Amen. Come on now. Isn't that what, is that what the word says? I mean, amen, amen, amen. They only had a, they had just a, a, a rough idea. They didn't, they didn't have, they didn't truly understand what God was, was doing. Amen. And so it's to expose a lack of motivation or desire for spiritual truths. And furthermore, number three, it's to provide that clear path of spiritual growth so that when the word is taught and preached and when you hear it and you receive it and you understand it and you obey it, it will provide a clear path of growing closer to Jesus, of understanding kingdom truths and how you live for God and serve God and love God and view your relationship with God. And so we're going to continue on in this uh, in this study here, and we're going to take a look at something here. I want you to understand that I mentioned that there are several types of parables. There, there, there are about 30 to 50 or even up to 80. Some would say even over 120, depending on how you categorize what a parable is. But nevertheless, there are, very, there are many parables in the Scripture. And one author uh, has categorized the parables into about nine different categories, just so you understand that there are reoccurring themes among the parables that Jesus taught. If we want to throw that up there, I want you to see this. Uh, there, there are different types of categories. And so the, the main parable that we, that we looked at is, is in Mark 4, it's a sower in the four soils. And that really is the key to understanding all the parables because of the four soils or the four types of heart. Remember, Jesus said some people hear, but they don't understand because their hearts have become dull. And, and our heart can become dull, just like those soils that were unresponsive to the seed. It didn't bear fruit. But then we looked at parables of redemption last week. In Mark chapter 16, we took, we took a look at that, that parable of, of the shepherd that left his 99 sheep to go after that one that was lost and that woman that swept her house to seek that coin that was lost and that son that was looking for that day that his his prodigal son would return and so many of Jesus's teachings revolve around this idea of redemption that from God's perspective this this topic this theme of redemption is paramount and that we are ultimately a people that have been redeemed we are being redeemed by a Savior that has come to seek and to save, to seek and redeem that which is lost, that we are like that sheep that went astray. We are like that coin that sometimes gets lost in the house. Sometimes you can be in church and you can be doing, you can never leave the church, you never rebelled, you never decided to, to live an immoral or, or an unrighteous life, but, but like that woman that lost 10 coins, that had 10 coins and one of them was lost in the house, it didn't go anywhere, it didn't leave. It was in the house, but it was, it was lost. Sometimes we can get lost in the house. We can, we can get dull of hearing in the church. And, and what happened? The, the woman had to straighten the house up. She had to clean things up. She got the broom out, and she swept, and she wiped down until she finally found where that, that coin had gone, where it was left. And sometimes in our life, we've got to just get some things straightened out, get our priorities back in order so that we can, that we can, that we can, Find that thing that we've been that that thing that's been missing in our walk with God, that passion, that prayer, that desire, that urgency, that fervency, that whatever that thing is that's missing in our relationship with God, we've got to get our house in order sometimes. So it's about redemption. But that's not all Jesus talked about. There are other categories, other reoccurring themes in Jesus' teaching. Prayer. There are parables about prayer. There are parables about the kingdom of God, just giving us understanding of the difference between the earthly kingdom and a, and a godly kingdom. Furthermore, there's parables about the relationship between grace and personal responsibility. Amen. Those are good parables. Parables concerning Israel or the nation of Israel. Remember that parable about the fig tree that did not bear fruit and Jesus cursed it? He was giving a parable about the nation of Israel. Parables about discipleship. Now look at these. Parables about money. Jesus spoke a lot about money and how... Not so much about money in the sense that, you know, just he, he's looking for our money or needs our money, but how our, how our heart is affected by the subject of money. And furthermore, prayers about the end times. Several of Jesus' teachings were about what is going to take place in the end times. But I want to take a look tonight at this next topic, this next theme, a reoccurring theme that Jesus teaches on, and that's this, this subject of, of prayer. I want to talk about prayer tonight. I want to talk about prayer tonight. And I want to just share with you, there's two themes, there's two main parables that Jesus gives us when, it, when we're talking about the subject of prayer. And they, they make two basic points. And in reality, they, they shoot down two false conceptions that people have about God 
as it relates to prayer. Amen? Now, you've got to understand something about the parables. Um, there, are, there are parables of comparison, and then there are also parables of, con of contrasting, if I can say it like that. So let me explain what I mean by that. Some parables are a comparison of this is what God is like, in a very simple term. Like, God is like that father that sat out on the porch looking out for his prodigal son to return. He didn't change who he was. He didn't leave who he was. He didn't compromise who he was. He didn't go chasing after the son. He knew the son had to learn some things the hard way. But he remained who he was. He stood firm. He stood his ground. But he was always, his heart was always just looking for that day that that son's heart would change and he would come back to the house. God's like that. God is like that shepherd that goes looking for the sheep sometimes. It's not because it's a son that's left. He knows the right, the difference between right and wrong, but he's like that sheep. Sometimes God's people are like sheep. They don't know any better. They get caught up in things. They get turned around. They get lost. They get mixed up. And sometimes God doesn't, he doesn't stay where he is. He knows that that sheep needs someone to look for him. And God will go searching for us. God is like that. But some of these parables are not demonstrating what God is like. They are contrasting what God is not like. The reason God would give us parables to contrast or to show us what God is not like is because sometimes we get ideas in our brain and in our mind and in our relationship with God that we think God is like certain things. God says, no, I'm not like that. And so when it comes to the subject of prayer, Jesus tells parables of contrasting. Am I saying that right? Do you have any English majors? I don't feel so bad then. Maybe it is right. Maybe it's not. You don't know. <laughs> or contradiction or contrasting. Jesus is telling us two main parables as it relates to the subject of prayer to shoot down two misconceptions about God as it relates to how we think about him in terms of prayer. And so we're going to look at this tonight. Let's skip that picture, Ron, and let's go to Luke chapter 11. 15. Let's go to Luke 11, 15. Hold on. I'm going to leave you in suspense with that picture, right? All right. Luke 11, 15. So Jesus gives two parables about prayer, two main parables. In Luke chapter 11 and then Luke chapter 18. And so let's read the first one here. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? We'll go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, right? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him, all right? And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. It's midnight. My kids are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. Is that, Jesus said, is that how he's going to answer you? If you go to your neighbor's house or your friend's house, Lane, if I showed up at your house at midnight and I'm pounding on the door, think about this. Jason, if I showed up at your house at midnight, if I drove to Martinsville, Jason, man, I need some of that of those pellets for that grill of yours, man. I got some company coming over. Traeger store or the, the pellet store is closed. And I gotta cook some pork tenderloin or whatever, some ribs. I have no way to get these pellets. Can you give me and I show up at midnight. Now I know you're gonna be mad, but I would imagine you would want to. Lane, you would want to give me, you would want to give me what I'm asking for. Now, Shauna may be yelling at you, but <laughs> Lily may be yelling at you, but I would imagine that your response would be, my goodness, midnight, this must be really important. And that's what Jesus is saying. And he will answer from within. He's not going to say, don't bother me, go away. The door's shut. My kids are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. No, look what he says. Verse 8, there's a dynamic here. There's a relationship dynamic here. He said, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. However, yet because of his impudence or importunity, everyone say importunity, the old King James Version word, he will rise up and give him whatever he needs. He said, listen, if someone comes to your house, a friend, now notice there's a relationship here. They know each other. Someone comes to your house at midnight at a very inconvenient or inopportune time pounding on your door to ask you of something urgent. Even though there's a friendship, even though there's a relationship, 
That person is not going to get out of bed just simply because you're friends. They're going to get out of bed because of the nature of the urgent request. Okay? All right. Now look at this. Now is that, let's keep going. And again, I tell you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 10, for everyone that asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. See? See how that works? What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Have, anyone, have any of you seen these videos? I feel our culture is really just... just getting out of, it's just evolving quickly. Now, I've seen the videos of the parents pretending like they're taking the kids candy on Halloween. You've seen those, right? Has anyone ever seen that? Maybe not. No. They'll like video it, like the little kids that got candy on Halloween. The parents will video them the next morning and, and, and the candy's gone and they'll say, we ate your candy. And then they'll like film the kids like just freaking out like just upset, the candy's gone. But now there was these videos I saw this year, I've never seen this, where instead of, you know, if, instead of just, you know, like Santa Claus, now it's like the, the gra- what is it, the Grinch. And there's these videos, I don't know what these parents are thinking. You want to talk about traumatizing your kids. Like, okay, so, so we've gotten removed Christmas being about Jesus you know, to Santa Claus, and now it's like taking another step to like about the Grinch, and they will film, they will pay someone, or they will have someone, a friend or family, dress dress up like the Grinch, you know, from that Jim Carrey movie, and like on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, dressed up like the Grinch, they will have the kids out there ready to kind of have their, you know, nice Christmas celebration, and they will have someone dressed as the Grinch, barge through the door, slam the door open, come running into the house, to the Christmas tree and start stealing the Christmas presents. The kids are like freaking out. The kids are going hysterical. There's like kids cr- screaming and crying. And it's just like, what is, what, what is wrong with these people? You know what I mean? It just kind of reminds me, like your kid asked for an egg, you're giving him a scorpion. You got Christmas gifts, and now instead you got some guy running in here pretending like he's stealing them. What's the point of that? But nevertheless, if you then being evil, some people are evil, but if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him? God's not like that, all right? All right, so, so this is this first, this first parable about prayer, all right? This, this, this parable of what we'll call, of what we'll call the, uh, the urgent need, all right? Let's go to the second one here in Luke chapter 18. This is the second parable Jesus gives us about prayer. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart, all right? This is the second story. He said, in a certain city, everyone say a certain city. There was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, all right? Now remember, this is a, this is a parable of contrast or, con, or contradiction or contrasting. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them quickly. Nevertheless, when, he, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. And so here we find two parables, two stories that Jesus is giving us to not show us what God is like as it relates to prayer, but the way that Jesus decides to approach the subject of prayer as Jesus begins to paint two pictures or tell two stories in order to to kind of shoot down or to dispel a, a false belief, two false beliefs that people often carry as it relates to prayer. And it's interesting, Jesus is, is, is telling this or sharing these, these stories that that he's trying to get people to, to, to think clearly or to think properly or correctly about what it means to have a, a, a relationship with God, that, to have an effective prayer life. There was a, a study, and I, I've shared it with the church a few times, and I think it bears repeating. It was called, um, it was, it's called Seligman's Hypothesis. It was the 1960s. Um, 
there was a there was a psychologist that did a uh, did a, a study with some dogs. Is that picture available or is it acting up? Called Seligman's hypothesis, and he and he was a uh, he was a psychologist, and he was studying the idea of hopelessness. And so they took these dogs. You've heard me tell the story, but they put them in a, in a cage similar to this. And long story short, one side, both sides would have electric shocks. You could, they would have the capability to, to shock the dog. And, and so <clears throat> the dog was in this cage, and it was kind of divided by a, a partition in the middle, and they would have these speakers, and they would play these sounds on one side of, of the cage where the dog was sitting. And when the sound would, would, would go, they would shortly thereafter get a shock. And the dog would learn that when they hears a sound, that I'm going to get shocked, and so they would move to the other side. They would jump to the other side. And so eventually, um, they, they began just kind of getting them to learn their response. When I hear the sound, I'm going to get shocked, and so to avoid the shock, I'm going to move to the other side. And so, and so then they would begin playing a sound on the other side, and, and so they would move from one side to the other side to avoid the shock, and then they would hear a sound on the other side, and they would get shocked, and so they would move back to the other side. And they kept getting them to kind of learn this response, how to avoid this, this undesirable feeling of being shocked, and so eventually what they did is they began shocking them on either side no matter what they did. No matter how they tried to respond, no matter how much they tried to avoid it, that they would shock them on one side and then they would move to the other side to avoid it and they would shock them on that side and they would keep shocking them despite how they responded or they would react and they eventually found that these dogs learned this behavior of hopelessness. And instead of trying to respond or to react or to remove themselves from this painful situation, they just would eventually begin to just sit there. Despite the sound, despite the shock, they wouldn't try to avoid it. They wouldn't try to change it. They literally, they literally learned to be hopeless. They learned that no matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter how I respond, I'm going to get shocked. And so instead of trying to do anything about it, I'm just going to sit here and just endure and experience this unpleasant set of circumstances. And it's an interesting illustration, but I think sometimes we as people kind of learn hopelessness ourselves. And these psychologists learned that when someone gets to a place of hopelessness, like these dogs, they've literally had to train them by physically taking their feet and, and showing them how to move back to the other side. They literally had to had to te reteach them, retrain them to have hope to, to change, and they eventually could be taught to, 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 to try to move back to the other side. They had to reteach them hope, they had to reteach them how to respond to the shock. But, but I think this is, is, gives a very important just kind of reality in life that sometimes in life that we can learn or we can, we can begin to adopt ideas or thoughts or beliefs that are self-limiting. And not only in life do we have these self-limiting beliefs, but I believe in our relationship with God that because of our circumstances or because we fail to understand how God really is or what His character is really like or how prayer really works, we begin to learn a certain type of hopelessness as it relates to our relationship with God and our prayer life. And as a result, Jesus gives two parables that begin to, 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 to dispel these limiting beliefs as it relates to prayer, all right? And so I want to take a look at this here. I want to get into this. Let's take a look at these, at, at, at a couple of these, um, at these, uh, at these, of these parables. All right. Let's take a look at this first one: the parable of the persistent prayer. All right. The parable of the persistent prayer. There's two prayers here. There's a persistent prayer. There's the parable of the persistent prayer, and then there's the parable of the urgent prayer. There's two prayers, and if you notice. One of these prayers, one of these requests, takes a long time to get answered. That was the lady with the judge, right? Took her a long time. She just kept coming back. She had an adversary. She kept going back, going back, going back. Certain judge. And it was her persistence that ultimately pre prevailed. But the other one was about an urgent need. Man, I'm, it's midnight. I got to have that sugar right now. I got to have that, those pellets right now. I got to have whatever it is. I got to have it now. God, I need it now. All right? And so Jesus is giving us two different parables about prayer. One is about a long-standing request. The other one is about an urgent need that needed answered right now. 
And so we find here, let's just begin with this persistent prayer. We find three characters, right? The first one is the judge, then there's a widow, and then there is a, an adversary. It was this judge that is in a certain city, all right? Now, whenever the Bible describes a person or a place as being a certain person or a certain place, there's a, there's a level of significance to that place. The Bible does not necessarily identify, but it, it wants you to, to, to kind of take a mental note that there's something unique about this particular place. Now, in this particular instance, this certain city, the language would kind of, kind of infer that it's a big city or it is an important city, all right? So it's a big, important city, a metropolis. It's a, it's a big town. It's a big place, all right? And so it's kind of a, it gives you, kind of paints a picture. But furthermore, he's, he's not only in a certain city, he's not, in a, he's not only a judge in a big city, but he didn't fear God. He didn't fear God. He didn't have a certain, he didn't have a basic moral compass about him. Most people, just even the belief in God, just a, they might not even be a believer or a churchgoer, they have a general belief in God, which will kind of give them a moral framework, a moral fear of God, which kind of navigates the decisions, their honesty, their character, their qualities. They might not be Christians. They might not be born again. But even just a basic belief and fear of God will, will provide a moral template to their life. This man didn't even have morals. You know, he didn't have a sense of honesty. He didn't have a sense of compassion. He didn't have a sense of truth or, or just even the moral framework that an average just good person might have. Furthermore, he lacked a respect for man. He didn't have compassion. He didn't care about people. Man, he had everything he needed. He was isolated. He was insulated. He was a judge in a big city. He drove a nice car. He lived in a nice house. He had everything he needed. He didn't care about people. So the Bible paints the picture that this man was generally extremely unhelpful, extremely disconnected, extremely busy, extremely self-important. He was a part of a big city. He was a big deal. He was encumbered by a lot of big projects. and a, He was distracted by a lot of big things. He, he wasn't interested in this second character, this widow woman. Now, this widow woman was our second character. She, was, she didn't have a husband. The widow. Which means she didn't have, she lacked a, just a basic advocate in her life. She didn't have anyone to protect her. She didn't have anyone to care for her. She didn't have anyone that was going to go take care of the responsibilities of life for her. She was kind of on her own. She, was, she was, had one hand tied behind her back. Life was not easy for her. It was challenging. Everything in life was more challenging for this widow woman. She, she lacked natural resources to pay for her desire. She was a widow, so that means that denotes that she probably didn't have much money. She was probably living just day to day, paycheck to paycheck, meal to meal. She couldn't afford to hire some big slick attorney. She couldn't afford to get, you know, to, 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 to pay for people to take care of her issues for her. Furthermore, she's been treated unfairly. And so you already get an idea that, that people already see that they can take advantage of her. So she's really just generally extremely helpful, helpless. And then we have this adversary, the person that is taking advantage of her. He took advantage of the widow. He was dishonest. He was unfair. He was evil. He was preying upon the helpless. And so we find these, these, these three characters, really these two characters, and, and Jesus is, is giving us a parable of a persistent prayer in light of the parable of the urgent need, but he's showing us here that, that he's not like that judge, he's, and we are not like that widow. That in other words, this is a prayer, this is a parable of contradiction or contrasting that, that just like this judge was extremely unhelpful, that he is not like that. And the reality is, is that sometimes we are encumbered in our prayer life, according to this parable, because sometimes we believe or think that Jesus is like this judge. That he's got too many other bigger things going. He's part of the big city. Here we are, just some lowly people. We're just insignificant. He's got bigger things. He's got much more going on. He's a part of the, it's, he, what he's dealing with is way more important than what, than what I got going on. He's part of the big city. Heaven's far away, man. That's just, God's got heavenly things to deal with. God's got heavenly things to worry about. God's not like that. 
Furthermore, this man didn't fear God. This man didn't have any morals. God's saying, listen, when you come to prayer, you, you can't get caught up in this limiting belief that God is not interested or that he's far away or that he's disconnected or that God does not have a moral framework like this man. God is interested in your life. God is interested in your situation. And furthermore, unlike this man that lacked a common respect for other people, God is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He's not like that evil judge. And so while this judge was portrayed as being a person that is generally extremely unhelpful, Jesus is saying, if that's your perception of me, then you need to recognize that even this person that is so unhelpful and disconnected and involved in much bigger, weightier matters and doesn't have a moral framework and certainly doesn't care about people, even he was willing to answer the response or the, the, the prayer of this woman. Even he had it within himself to respond to the, the need of this widow woman who was coming to him day after day, week after week, month after month. And so even in our worst perception of God as being like this evil judge, even an evil judge was willing to respond to the needs of this poor widow woman. But God is not like that. God is interested. God does care. God does love us. God is a moral God. God is a loving God. God is a righteous God. God is a caring God. God is extremely helpful. God is extremely interested. God does respond to our needs. God does move in our life. God does care about what's going on in your family. God does care about what's going on in your finances. God does care about what's going on in your church. He's not like the judge, but even the judge would respond to the woman. So how much more will he respond if he's not like that judge? And we get this widow. Widow, sometimes we think we're like the widow. Extremely helpless. No one is here to advocate for me. My husband's not helping. My pastor's not helping. My boss is not helping. My friends are not helping. We get this mindset sometimes. Just woe is me. I might as well just eat worms. Is that right? Start feeling sorry for yourself. You know, that can, that, can, that can mess with your prayer life because you start seeing God a certain way. And Jesus is addressing this. He's dealing with, you're not like this widow woman in some respects, lacking natural resources to, pray for her, to pay for her desire. She didn't have the resource. She, didn't have, she was treated unfairly, extremely helpless in some respects. She had no reason why anyone would help her. But here's the reality. God is our Father. God is interested in our life. And even though this woman had nothing to offer her, offer this judge, you see that the, the contrasting in their relationships, there was no relationship. There was no connection. There was no inherent motivation. There was no reason why either of these two people should be connected. But even in their most extreme of differences in life, in locations in life, in lack of motivation or lack of desire or lack of resources and lack of all of the reasons why this response should be, should be met or this request should be met by the judge to this widow woman. Nevertheless, even then, the, 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 the need was met and God is saying, listen, you're more than just some widow woman. You are my child. I love you. I care for you. I advocate for you. I'm praying. The Bible says Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is advocating for us. Jesus is, is meeting our needs. Jesus is interested in our life. <clears throat> now, I got my order mixed up here because my computer died, but. There's three things that I want to share with you about this. Number one, the first thing that I want you to see about this is, I think that first one, Rana, is, lesson number one is the subject of the parable is not really about the timing as much as it is about the trust. And we've got two extremes. Both of these are about prayer. One of them is about a prayer or a request that a lady was bringing to the judge over the Bible would give us the impression a long period of time. The other one was about prayer in the context of an urgent need that needs to be met like now, like at midnight, like I can't wait till six in the morning to come knocking on Jason's door. I gotta have, I gotta have that, those little, those little honey snacks like right now, Jason. Jason gets me these little honey snacks. I don't even know what they're called, but my goodness, it's just like, like uh, very addicting. 
So sometimes prayer is like, you know, you need things right now. You need, you need God to respond right now. You need a, you have an urgent, you can't wait till next week. You can't wait till next month. You can't wait for years down the road. You have certain things that need to happen now. In either instance, whether it's a long-standing prayer or whether it's an urgent need that needs to be answered now, really the reality is in both of these parables, the subject of the parable is not so much about the timing as it is about trusting. The reality is is sometimes I think we get this idea in our brain and in our mind God, I can't pray because this is one of those things God's just going to take forever. We've learned to be helpless because sometimes we've prayed things and they don't get answered right away. And we get caught up in the timing and the reality is, is before timing, you need to be, you need to be, you need to be concerned about your trust. Your trust. Maybe realize that, that, that whether you have an urgent need or whether you have a long-standing need, the reality is, is that God is not like that judge and God is not even like your friend that wouldn't answer because he's your friend, but because of the urgency of your need and because of the, because of the persistence of your prayer, that whether it's long-standing or urgent, God, you can trust the Lord to take care of the seasons, the circumstances, and the situations in your life. Look what Philippians 4, 16-17 says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be, no, be made known to God. Don't be anxious. Don't be stressed out. Don't be worried. All right? What's, what's the next psalm? Next text. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your heart and your mind. You've got to learn to trust God. Let the peace of God. Listen. You can trust God with your needs. You keep, being, you keep bringing your needs to the Lord. You keep praying. You keep trusting. You keep seeking. You keep asking. You keep knocking. God sees you. God hears you. God's going to respond. Even if God was like an evil judge or even if God was like your friend that doesn't want to get out of bed, nevertheless, both of those needs were met. You've got to just trust that God is greater. God is better. God is uh, more compassionate. God is more interested. God loves you and he's going to take care of you. Don't get so much caught up in the timing. Get caught up in the fact that you can trust God with all of your needs. There was no, one more scripture. What is it? Is that it, Rana? The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song of pray and with my song I will praise him. My Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him. That's where we need to get to. Lord, I trust you. You're my helper. You're my strength. Whatever the need is, Lord, you know. We had an evangelist, Jesse Cornejo. He did the tent revival. Um and uh, we were talking, and, and uh, he was sharing just some of his stories. Some of these guys, they have just amazing stories. Just, you know, uh, and I really do think some of these, some of the folks that we've had here lately are truly uh, just operating in five-fold ministry. And um, I believe that Cornejo is a, just a true evangelist. He's a, he's a harvester. But nevertheless, God had called him to, to step out and to evangelize. He first got married. He had no money. He didn't have a job. God called him to evangelize. And, and the way he explains it is God was just kind of working with him to be sensitive and to, to be sensitive to his leading. And he, I'm not going to remember all the details, he said he felt like God told him to drive two states north. He was in California at the time to drive two states north to some place in Oregon. I can't remember if he, he knew somebody there or there was a relationship, whatever, but and he said he was like down to his last couple hundred bucks. I mean, they had no money. He really just felt impressed by God drive to this particular community in Oregon. It was like, I think it was a day or two drive. I can't remember. And he didn't, he didn't know, he didn't have an invitation to preach. Uh, he didn't have any of that. He didn't have a pastor. He, he just went to this, he went to this community. So he drives up there. He gets there. He's on the way up. Long story short. I'm not going to give you all the, I, I can't remember all the details. He either gets a call or he calls an old friend. Somehow he just shares that he's going to be in this particular area. They knew of a church that was in that area. They got him connected. He said, hey, reach out. Uh, he, he ends up talking to the pastor in this community. The pastor's like, you know, yeah, you can come to the service, but I'm going to be preaching tonight or something. There was something along those lines. He didn't have any money to get home. I mean, he's down to his last like 20 bucks. 
At this point, you got to realize as an evangelist, he, he was desperate for an opportunity to preach because that's his livelihood. That's how he gets paid. That's how he was going to be able to see another day, so to speak. And so they're getting ready to open the service. He's not even, the pastor's not even letting him preach. He's just there out of a whim. Long story short, I'm missing some of the key details, but as he's getting up to preach, the pastor feels like God just speaks to him that this young man needs to preach. He gets up. Tells him, come preach. He ends up preaching. They have like a three-week revival. And it was like God just was testing his faith and showing him that he can provide for his needs. And he said he learned something through that, that he just had to get to a place where he just learned that if he doesn't have it, it's because God doesn't think he needs to have it at that time. But if he has a need, God's going to provide for it. And if he hasn't provided, it's because God doesn't think he needs it at that time or at that moment. It was a level of faith that, man, it's just hard to hear someone communicate. Sometimes we've got to get to that place where we're just trusting the Lord. God knows. God sees. God is acquainted. God knows the circumstances. I'm bringing my needs before the Lord. The Lord knows. And I'm not so much concerned with the details, the timing, but, but I'm trusting in God. All right? And that's going to allow me to continue to be persistent, to continue bringing my urgent needs. Let's go to the next one, Rana. Whatever the next slide was, I think it was lesson number two. Lesson number two. Are we having issues back there? Lesson number two. All right. Always pray. Don't lose heart. We have often failed to keep praying because we wrongly believe that God is like the judge in this parable, too distant, busy with other matters, unfair or lacking compassion. I, I kind of gave this point right off the bat is that God is saying that I'm not like that judge. If you get an idea in your mind, in your prayer life, in your walk with God, you begin to perceive God a certain way. Jesus is giving us this parable to, to kind of just to kind of erase our false perspective and our false perceptions of God and he's trying to give us a correct kingdom perspective to see things the way God wants us to see things. And he's, dis, he's, he's, he's shooting down a, 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 a false idea that God is somehow this distant judge from this big city that doesn't care, is not interested, and has no compassion about my needs. And here I am, just this helpless, hopeless individual. I've got no way to get the answer I need. I've I got no way to get the resources or to get... Uh, uh, advocated for in regards to my situation and Jesus says no the reality is is that's not the case I do love you I do care and I am interested let's see first Peter chapter 5 verse 6 through 7 therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting here it is casting your care upon him for he cares for you this judge could have cared less but that's not what the, that's not our heavenly father he does care for you Cast your care upon him. Come to him in prayer. Be persistent. God knows your need. God sees your situation. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This judge would give someone the impression that he's just trying to withhold because he really just doesn't care. And the Lord says, I couldn't be any, you could, I couldn't even be any further from the truth. So he tells us this parable that even if an unjust judge would give what this woman has been asking for because of her persistence, how much more will I give you all things, uh, will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly? If you'll just seek, if you'll ask, if you'll knock, I will take care of you, all right? Let's go to the next one. Lesson number three. We often fail to remain persistent in prayer because we believe that God will not respond soon enough. Now let's get into Luke chapter 11, verses 15 through 13. Now this is the next one. All right. Now that that judge and that widow, there was a long-standing, just continual persistence. She had to keep coming back. Sometimes in prayer, we got to just keep coming back. Sometimes we got to just keep praying. Sometimes we got to just keep on knocking. We got to keep on fasting. We got to keep on seeking. How many in this place can say that there were some things that you have prayed for and sought that God did not answer right away? Big things, significant things, profound things in your life. But somehow over time, if that you just kept on praying, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't know how God was going to do it. But you look back and you see that God was faithful and that He ultimately did answer your prayer. Can anyone raise your hand? Amen. I've seen some of your prayers. You know, we when we started doing prayer and fasting, <clears throat> we would fill out those cards, and I have kept those from every year, and I, I'll look at them every once in a while. And there were some things some of you prayed for people in your life. Man, it's just like 
God just did it. Somehow. Somehow God just did it. And, and, and that's just how the Lord is sometimes. You just keep on praying. You just keep on knocking. There's people that are coming to church now. Their attitude is totally different. Their heart is totally different. Where two, three, four years ago, it's like, I, I just, even I'm just like, God, how are you going to do this? And just all of a sudden, somehow the Lord just gets a hold of their heart. The Lord just moves in that situation. And all of a sudden, God answers the prayer. I told you the story about <clears throat> using my mom as an example. And she's probably listening to the podcast. Hi, mom. Love you. I'll share this story, all right? <laughs> prayed for her, prayed for her, prayed for her, prayed for her for years. I was going to church. She wasn't really coming to church. And one night, I'm going to bed. I'm a Christian. Going to bed, I just felt the Lord just burdening, burdening me to pray. And granted, I had spent a lot of time in prayer for my family, lots of time, and just just not seeing anything happen, not seeing any changes in our family. One night, laying in bed, getting ready to pray, or just just fall asleep. God just like, no, you got to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. So I fought it for a while. Finally, just decided to pray. First thing I prayed for was for my family. Prayed whatever I prayed, went to sleep, probably wasn't even an hour later. All of a sudden, I hear my mom. This was when I was a teenager. I lived in the house. I hear my mom come screaming down the hallway, Mike, 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 Mike. She comes barging into my bedroom. She says, I just had a dream. I just had a dream. I went to hell. Pray for me. She jumps in my bed. And we began praying, and she had this just unbelievable dream that was so symbolic about just perception just she saw these like these priests like they were they were like wooden like almost like you think I say like a dummy but like a mannequin they were doing these like just repeated rituals and they were in these priest garments and at the time we grew up Catholic right and that was our kind of perception of religion and, and God is like this 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 like lifeless this routine of religion, you go to Mass, you take the Mass, you rehearse the Mass, you go back, nothing ever changes in your life, nothing is ever affected. It's like this repeated religious obligation, and that's your sense of righteousness and godliness and relationship with God, and it was like God was just like bursting that perception that, you know, there, there's no life in that religion, there's no, there's no salvation in that religion. You've got you to gotta have a relationship, and nevertheless, whatever that all the significance of that dream, I, I noticed that after that, things began to change. There was a hunger there all of a sudden. There was a desire. She started, they started going to church. And now, long story short, my mom, my sister, come. I want to tell you, you just never know what the Lord might do in your life if you just keep on praying. Sometimes the people that seem so hopeless and seem so far from God, you just keep on knocking on that door. God might not answer right away, but you just never know because there's a lot of things there. You got to deal with, God's got to deal through just a person's will. They got to deal with their own individual sovereignty, his sovereignty. There's a lot of things God's got under, under control. You just keep on praying and, and believing and trusting God. And you just see that when that time comes, even though God is not like that judge, that judge was willing to even answer that prayer. to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, leave me three loaves. Now, here's the, here's the urgent needs. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are within me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. He's not going to, he's, this man isn't going to answer the, the request just simply because you're friends. Now get this, what he's, what he's showing you is if you eliminate our relationship, God is saying like, here's what he's saying, like, if you know me, there's like, you know, God called Abraham a friend. There is a relationship, there's a familiarity, there's a proximity there, right? This isn't like a, a widow and a judge. Here there's a relationship, there's a proximity. They were probably neighbors, they were friends, there was a closeness, there was a familiarity, there was a relationship, they had an ongoing relationship and dialogue. And so you would think that if this person was going to get what they needed, it would be because they were friends and they were close and there was a relationship. But Jesus is saying, it, even if the relationship is taken out, it's the fact of the urgency that's what's going to get this need met. 
But he's saying, we do have a relationship. We do have a friendship. We do have a proximity. You do know me. You do call on my name. You do love me. Uh, I am involved in your life. I am interested. There is a proximity and a familiarity. And he said that even if there wasn't, this man's needs were net. How much more? Because, I, because we do have a relationship. So here's what I think happens. Jesus tells these two stories. And it's about prayer. Both of them are about prayer. One was an urgent need that was met. One was a long-standing need that was met. And I think sometimes, according to this story, sometimes we get encumbered in our prayer life because we get caught up in that long-standing prayer mindset that, yeah, I'll pray, but it's not going to get answered for maybe years in the future. And we get this distance in our thoughts and in our faith. Well, I'll pray, but God's not going to answer yet. I'll pray, and maybe he'll answer somewhere down the road. Or I'll pray, but maybe you know, he's not going to do it now. Or he can't do it now. Or he won't do it now. And the reality is, as Jesus is saying, listen, if there's an urgent need, I'm willing to meet it, not even just because we're friends, but because of the urgency of the need. There's an impo- impo- There's a dynamic of importunity that, that God responds to. And so what, what I believe Jesus is saying here is, listen, you need to have the faith to knock on the door, to seek and to ask, even in the urgent, inconvenient, opportune seasons and situations of your life. You need to have the faith that says, God, I have a boldness that I can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain help in a time of need. We need to have faith not just for the long-standing prayers. We need to have faith for the urgent needs and urgent requests in our life. Don't put a time limit. This is not... Don't put a time limit on God's ability to respond to your needs. You see this? Some of these prayers were long-standing. Some of these prayers were urgent. It's not about the timing. It's about trusting in God for your needs. What did Jesus say? I tell you, ask, it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Man, what a powerful, what a powerful word. What a powerful word. So stand with me tonight. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to just summarize it here. This is a parable of contrast. That if you strip away everything that we know about God, His goodness, His love, His character, His morality, His compassion, His faithfulness, His attention to detail, His justness, his proximity to his people, his close. If you stripped away all of those things, what he's saying is that even if I were like an unjust, immoral, godless judge, I would still respond to the urgency and the persistence of your prayers. Or if I was like that guy that you knock on his door at midnight, if you stripped away our relationship, our proximity, our closeness, our friendship, and you were just knocking on some random person's door, I would still respond to your urgent need because of the importunity and the urgency. I'm not like that man. I'm not like that judge. I'm better than that. So how much more should we have faith to put our trust in the Lord and to give our needs to the Lord and cast our cares upon him? Let's lift our hands right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray, God, that tonight...